While I went to St. Croix to train on the Subgravity Defender CCR strictly to get the knowledge. Again, like in the diving space, um, I don't know about you guys, but you know, whenever you get in a room and someone starts talking about um, partial pressures and loops and sorb and and you don't know what that's all about, you're like, you go, okay, well, I, I crush, you know, I crush free diving. I understand the 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 the, the, the CO2 tables and the apnea, and then I I know scuba. I can. You know, I know my, my, my inflator hose length is specifically X amount of inches, um, but you do feel like, um, you know, a fish out of water, no pun intended. It's episode 39 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Weldon Wade. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba, tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every week on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. To learn more about our show, find your favorite guest, or just read about the host, be sure to check out our website, diveinpod.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin. I'm Amit. I'm Nick. And I'm April. And we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Welcome back, April. Thanks. I'm happy to be back. And quarantine is over, April. <laughs> yeah, I guess by the time this episode comes out, I will be uh, released back into the world of Nova Scotia. Whoa, tell us about that. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Honey, I'm home. <laughs> I love it. Ready to hit the high seas and uh, do some diving with the sea foxes and everybody else? I am so excited yeah. to get back in the water. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait. I'm just hoping that some of these... Uh, restrictions ease up and cases go down and i can actually get to do some teaching let's look forward to lots of scuba diving uh, lots of scuba training in the new year yes well tonight we're going to be speaking to weldon wade weldon is a diver explorer and communicator from bermuda and a patty ambassador diver he's a passionate free diver scuba diver closed circuit rebreather diver as well as the founder of the ocean conservation organization guardians of the reef Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, Weldon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. All things considered, good is a good thing. Good is a good thing, that's for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to our interview in a few minutes, Weldon. But uh, before that, we got an email from a fan of the show, and she said that, uh, quote, I enjoyed the interview with Christina. I spent six days at UNESCO. Three of them were with Christina. It was incredibly intense. Listening brought back a lot of great memories. So that was nice to hear. Nice. Yeah, overall, I mean, uh, I think we've been gradually getting a bit more and more feedback. And so it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. neat to see that people are enjoying the show. I know I've had a couple of positive comments on the Neil Pollock episode recently. So, yeah, very cool to hear. Really awesome. We'll chat about some news. Uh, Weldon, I have a quick question from you before the news and well before we do your interview here. I know you've done lots of underwater cleanups. What's the wildest thing you found underwater that wasn't supposed to be there? Goodness. I mean, other than the typical stuff that doesn't float right uh, some abandoned fish pots industrialized you know fishing equipment and stuff like that um i found a, a flashlight um which was probably the most interesting find <laughs> i had, to, ex- oh yeah, my I had God. to explain to the explain to the kids what it was because i wasn't the one that actually found it um oh good no oh no <laughs> Yeah, well, there was uh, there was some mixed up divers in Germany recently that uh, that thought they had found a typewriter, and it turns out what it actually was was an Enigma machine wow. that the Nazis used to send coded messages during the Second World War. 
uh, Florian Huber, who was the lead diver, said, uh, a colleague swam up to me and there's a net with his old typewriter in it. And uh, the team quickly realized they'd stumbled across a historic artifact and alerted authorities. The doctor at the local state archaeology office said that the machine would be actually be restored by experts at the state's uh, archaeology museum. And it would take a year to desalinate the Enigma machine and then fix it and get it back into working order. Um, yeah, can't imagine that. And it'll go in, uh, on display in the museum. That's, a, that's an awesome find. Yeah. yeah, truly cool. Has anybody seen the imitation game about Alan Turning uh, building sure. the first modern computer? Such oh, a yeah. great movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty yeah. wild. It's kind of crazy to think how much stuff's at the bottom of the ocean, right? Um, I just, I mean, just thinking back, cause I just finished, finally got around to finishing the, um, the enslaved documentary that Alana was in. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, some of the stuff they've been finding on the water, like from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, yeah, it's amazing what, what the sea will eat up, but also what the sea will sort of preserve as well. If anybody wants to hear more about that, uh, read more about that interview or that find, uh, there will have, be a link in the show notes. That's it for the news. Uh, it's time to dive in with Weldon Wade. Is it too obvious to assume that uh, growing up on a small island like Bermuda, your first experience with the ocean was at an early age? Indeed it was. Um, I can certainly speak wholeheartedly from my experience. The first memory, living memory I have is, is from my father tossing me into, into the ocean as a child. <laughs> and that's how uh, many of us learn how to swim. It's a, it's a sink or swim situation. And uh, I do recall feeling my, that my life force quickly uh, leaving my body. But um I managed to to not die, <laughs> thankfully. And, um, and yeah, so what we see now is, you know, the, the kids do a lot of cliff cliff jumping, and uh, the toss still happens, by the way. Um, yeah. but jumping off rocks, jumping off cliffs, it's a it's a, it's a big deal here. So yeah, my first living memory is uh, is is the is the ocean. Nice. And, uh, so we're we're all connected to it, and, and here, you know, Bermuda's so tiny, we're never yeah. more than than a mile away from the ocean. So we do have a connection, whether we appreciate it or not. That's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. So what was your first introduction to diving and was it scuba or freediving? Well, um, like, like many kids here, you know, we do get exposed to swimming, um, even though um, some people still don't swim. But it's, mm-hmm. it's quite common to have people, you know, growing up swimming. I know in other countries, um, you know, there is a connection to the ocean to where it's, it's not the best. Um, you know, you're taught, you're taught to fear, fear the ocean, whether it's a, a monster going to eat you or a spiritual connection that, um, where the ocean is left, you know, for spiritual purposes. So right. you're you're not in in the water for one reason or another. But around here, um, you do get get into the ocean and do some stuff. And yeah, uh, so snorkeling was somewhat common. But mm-hmm. my sort of light light bulb moment in in the diving world was on scuba. It was a bucket list item for me. Something I did right. back in 2006. It took you quite a while to get to scuba diving then. Yeah, and I just want to come back to what I said earlier about like appreciating it, um, you know, and recognizing its beauty. You know, I think sometimes in in life when we have something every day that's amazing, you kind of get used to it, and it becomes just, ah, you know, mm-hmm. it's just the most clear blue turquoise green water <laughs> we've ever seen. But we see it every day on the bus to school. You know, we see it every day uh, in grandma and grandpa's car. So until we, um, I guess, get older and travel to other countries that don't have. Uh, that level of access to something mm-hmm. so beautiful, you start to recognize and realize, oh, you know. And so I, I did. I did make plans to relocate to Toronto in Canada, and I did. But a bucket list item was to try scuba diving before I left, and that's kind of where it all started, man. I'm like <laughs> kicking myself to this day for trying it, you know, later in life. But um, it's an expensive hobby, right? So, mm-hmm. 
that might be one of the reasons I dabbled in it late mm. and made it a bucket list item. But I'm I'm, I'm delighted I did. Uh, that's fantastic. Did you ever make it to Toronto? I did. I lived out there for about three years until the 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 winters got to me. And, uh, <laughs> and guys, back in Bermuda, it was um, been back for for a few years now. So, oh, that's crazy. Me and Nick were just out actually diving today, and this isn't even what you would call cold. And we were still both looking at each other because we're both from the Caribbean and saying, "What what are we thinking? <laughs> like, what what is going on here?" So, and we're you know, I can't wait till January, February comes around. So, well, and I had a oh, yeah. I had a question I wanted to ask you there. You, you delivered a, a great TEDx talk in 2014 and started your presentation with a powerful quote from Baba Doom. So, uh, I think I'm going to yep. try to quote that here. It says, "In the end, we will conserve we will conserve only what we love. We will love only what we understand, and we will understand only what we are taught." So. Can you tell us how that's influenced your, I guess, your philosophy on on life and the ocean? Well, I just want to bring up someone's name that you've mentioned already, and that's the wonderful Alana Velikot in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Um, she was involved in a, um, a marine science forum just recently, and she actually used that same quote in her Instagram caption. So it's wonderful <laughs> to sort of see that, you know, his quote come out there. And I think, yeah. you know, it's it just sort of personifies a bit of what I touched on uh, a moment ago about like when you don't understand it, you just don't know what you have. And it's like, it's not that you don't, you don't know what you've got that's gone analogy. It's really for me, like I've evolved over the last few years, you know, certainly since 2014 into recognizing the connection between human health and, and, and ocean mm-hmm. health. And, um, just, and, and every day I'm learning, you know, my background is, is IT. It's not marine stuff. So um, it's been a very interesting journey um, going from sort of being a, a systems administrator to now uh, an ocean communicator, uh, an ocean educator, uh, even um, without having gone to school at all for any, any of this stuff. Um, so I think it's all about better on and better understanding of our environment, better understanding of our our, our our human connection to the ocean, and better understanding that we need to protect that. It it it's, it's, a, it's a piece of us. It's, it's a, it sustains us essentially. And for you, I guess coming from an island, especially one that's as small as Bermuda, it would seem that the interconnectedness of that island to all its resources would be something that's very critical. Is that part of the culture there, or is that something that you've just sort of developed on your own? Well, guys, I'm, I'm 42 years old, and so I kind of look at the lens of what things were like when I was a kid and what I could sort of pick up from my family and friends and my social circle as, as, a, as a child, mm-hmm. and then what I experienced as an adult. I think just being ocean-minded um, does put me in, in, a really, in a really good spot to mm-hmm. recognize these things a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up, I didn't have anyone in my family or friends that were ocean people, um, and that's a broad spectrum. We've got sailors, fishermen. Um, goodness, you know, like, um, seamen, boat captains. Um, and I really didn't have that. I mean, I did fish and I did do a little bit of boating, but it wasn't to the degree where I was exposed to it, um, constantly. Um, but yeah, like we, we have a lot of uh, laws and legislation here on the Island that speaks to conservation, whether it's conservation of sea turtles, protection of our historic wrecks. We are the, we have more shipwrecks per square per capita than anywhere else in the region. So it's important that we keep those protected from people taking stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I would say that, you know, we, we do recognize the importance of, uh, of our blue backyard. It's, it's critical. I mean, 
goodness. I mean, just the hurricanes we had just recently, we had two in the same week. And it, we, we figured out, you know, those that don't know figured out real quick that wind isn't always the issue. Uh, storm surge is a big deal too. And we've got this sort of barrier reef around Bermuda. If you can imagine, Bermuda sits inside of this, ex- this extinct volcano. Mm-hmm. And you've got this crater, this rim that is coral. It's reef. It's the ocean. It protects from storm surge. So the ocean is super important. And we haven't even touched on food security and what it provides us, you know, for that side of things either. You describe yourself as unapologetically dedicated to the growth of the diving community in Bermuda. Why would you say that is? I think that while there are many people uh, on the island, whether they're Bermudian or they're here um, as a guest worker, expatriate, um, a lot of people seem to be super driven into their purpose and into their work and mm. don't do very well at necessarily building community. And I think that's one of the, one of the, the cornerstones of, of, of the work I've done. And the and I, I don't look at it as a success yet, and I don't think I ever will. I think once every Bermudian is like a certified freediver or a certified scuba <laughs> diver, you know, then it's like, okay, I can go lay down, right? And, and everyone has – all I want, right, is everyone to have a set of freediving gear – in their closet, you know, so whenever it's zero to five, it's variable. We are good to dive self shore. Everybody is, has access to, to ghetto diving. So, you know, you don't mm. need carbon fins, you know, you don't need the whole fancy business, yeah. but yeah, so that's sort of the, the, the goal. But, um, again, like I got into this scene from an IT background, I started this NGO and from day one, it's been just funded as a passion project, but my own money mm. from, since day one, um, and I've aligned with all the other NGOs, and uh, and now I'm working full time in the in the ocean space for uh, an organization that's committed to protecting 20% of Bermuda's EEZ. Nice. So it's it's gone. Yeah, it's it's, it's been such a, a wild ride, and I I gotta admit, like I don't pause and then really think about it much, if that makes sense. Like I'm so driven, I'm driven forward that um, I, I I tend not to pump the brakes and and, and kind of look back and think about. Um, all of the accomplishments. I just think there's still so much work to do mm. um, in the space. And I'm, I'm one of probably 40 blue or green sort of organizations that are working to, you know, keep Bermuda beautiful, um, keep Bermuda uh, the gem of the Atlantic. And so um, I'm certainly not the only Bermudian committed to um, ocean advocacy and ocean conservation, mm. but um, I've come at it as in such a unique way. Uh, and I've had to be unapologetic with that as well. Um, and we need more people in the world just being unapologetically committed to um, ocean protection. And, and, and the thing is, you don't need the cliche, and I say this respectfully, like the marine science degrees. You don't need to be like a, an aquarist. You know, you mm. can be whatever. You can be anything. We all we can all make a difference. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you're near the ocean. Uh, that's pretty cool, actually. So uh, you mentioned there that you had said that you come at it a different way than the other NGOs and the groups uh, that are doing similar types of work. How would you how would you describe that part of it? That unique factor that you bring to the. I would I would say that the genesis of me starting uh, the organization about ten or eleven years ago was recognizing that even though there are super amazing organizations in Bermuda and I serve on some of the boards um, at this stage, but like we're 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 siloed mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, even even to this day, um, you know, if one 
ocean focused entity is doing something awesome that um that tends to be a siloed effort right you know the the, the funding the volunteers um the energy and the resources are, are siloed amongst mm. the different entities and so one of my main drivers for starting guardians of the reef it was originally called bermuda ocean explorers was to try to create a, a portal or a conduit to try to break down those silos and i've been chipping away at that for a really really long time mm. i did have to divert a bit because i started to do a lot of um grassroots action-oriented community-driven events just doing these free pop-up events on the beach that would bring the community out to do good for the ocean whether that's calling invasive lionfish or picking up trash from the bottom of the ocean and i just found that the community wanted more of that it became like me thinking what the community wanted then became okay the community telling me okay guy i see you're young you know you're black you're bermudian you're you're in it you're, you're not sort of um one hand tied behind my back because i work a certain place or do a certain thing i kind of came in it like as a free agent if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and they're like look we know what you want to do with the silos and that's fine you can work on that too but nobody else is doing these public open grassroots action you know impactful events and and that was really the how it all kind of kicked off and and when i when i pause from doing these events you know i i sort of expect somebody to jump in and sort of take the reins <laughs> but it's it's got to be either the rum swizzle or the chili i, I, I have a rum swizzle that i make and uh, the rum is good it's great and then i do this five bean chili i use the, the the light and the dark and the white and the black and the baked beans and yeah that's the whole i use coffee there's a dark beer and there's chocolate and the mm, chili man. so i think it's the food that sounds good i, I think I'm, it's the food i'm coming to bermuda for one of those <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's the ultimate chili recipe and and just to i mean i, I mentioned rum i think i want to mention to you i want to bring up to you guys that my focus has really been um young adults 18 and mm -hmm. up mm. and i just um to this day and i'm involved with some really dope stuff with youth in the region by way of the ocean heroes boot camp which is led by the captain planet foundation and lonely whale out of the u.s and we're working with kids 11 to 18. Um, but what I find here and, and elsewhere is there's lack of continuity with the different entities in Bermuda that are, you know, sh introducing kids uh, to the ocean. When they're zero, you know, to five, they got some stuff. And then from five to 10, there's some stuff. But then, you know, they kind of get let go at a certain mm. age to kind of figure it out mm. for themselves. And then that's sort of where, where my organization comes in and, and picks them up and, you know, tries to, Keep them going. Again, mm -hmm. continuity. So you got you got you know si silos and lack of continuity. Very cool. But we're all doing our best with what we have, and yeah. and we all love what we do. Um, but there's always so much more uh, to be done, despite that. Right. Absolutely. And you're also a Patty uh, ambassador. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about how that came about, and what does it mean for you in diving in Bermuda? So, um, Patty is the largest um, cert uh, dive certifying agency in the world. Millions and millions of people start their diving journey uh, under the Patty umbrella, as as I did uh, back in the back in the day. Mm -hmm. I I recognized just a couple of years ago that they started an ambassador diver program, just recognizing people in the diving community doing doing awesome stuff. Um, I think when I first saw it, I thought it was isolated to uh, instructors. So I kind of observed it from afar and just admired the, the rock stars that I saw that had been part of the, the cohorts uh, those, those years ago. And then I sort of realized as I did a deep dive that um, 
yeah, you know, not everyone was an instructor. So uh, it is an application-based process. And I did apply for two years, and, and I got in on the, the second year. So I'm a, just a proud, a proud um, uh, yeah, just honored to be part of their 2020 cohort. And, um, you know, Patty is a leading agency in Bermuda. There are others. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just weird. And again, got to go back to the, the whole concept of, like, just doing, you know, 100 miles an hour on the freeway. And <laughs> I don't really pump the brakes and look back and think, like, Wow, you know, it's it's a privilege and an honor and I love working with the Patty team. Patty have, you know, certainly evolved from, you know, when I first got involved with them, they're focusing way much more on what we're talking about. Ocean mm-hmm. conservation, ocean advocacy, advocacy, ocean awareness, that healthy ocean, healthy planet, and um I'm happy to be part of that movement. So, yeah, I I just represent the brand and um I do things that they ask me to do, and hmm. yeah, it's 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 wonderful. It's it's actually a great a great alliance, great partnership. I'm really happy to hear that. And so, obviously, uh, taking it on a little bit of a different note here, uh, but we can't travel due to this COVID. But uh, if you were to take me on a dive in Bermuda, what's the diving like there? The diving here is amazing. Okay. First things first. We already said we're the shipwreck capital. You know, we, we call ourselves the shipwreck capital of the Atlantic. So we can dive different wrecks every day for weeks. And whether or not you're into, if you're into underwater archaeology, there's something for you. If you're into intact wrecks, there's something for you. If you're into shallow, deep, modern, old, new, uh, there, there's something here for everyone. And 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 some of our, our most significant wrecks on an archaeological side of things are in shallow water. So unlike some other diving destinations where, you know, the points of interest are in super cold, super deep water, um, here you're good in zero to 100. Like you're really good in zero to zero to 60. But uh, zero to 100, sure, like you'll see some really dope stuff. But we're not all about shipwrecks. We've got some of the healthiest reef in the region as well. Um, the species of coral that we have are just super healthy they do experience um a bit of bleaching a little little bit of white band a little bit of black band disease so you know they do react to stressors that uh, that that are uh, that are that they have to encounter and, and deal with but our coral are very resilient and if we were to go diving today or any day um the coral you just see beautiful brain coral um beautiful sea life and um and we don't always, and you don't need a boat to do a lot of the the diving others to see cool stuff the boats will take you to some really dope sites, but we can get some awesome diving from the shore. In fact, John Smith's Bay, which is a, a really popular spot, is just it's really, really nice. The diving there's really good. Tons of swim-throughs, lots of points of interest. Um, and we'd be busy with our onion sacks picking up debris while we're exploring the beautiful coral, and then I'll have a spear, and we'll spear some invasive lionfish while we're at it. So it's a lot to see, a lot to do. Bring the GoPro, you know, bring the, the DSLR. Um, but Bermuda is quite unique, guys. Like we're so further north mm. um, from the Caribbean, right? We do experience all four seasons in our own special way. So when I say winter in Bermuda, you know, don't I? I, I know what winter in Toronto is like, like thirty <laughs> below, going up Yonge Street. So I I know that. So when I say to people like Bermuda gets cold in the winter, they're like, "Bro, what are you talking about?" <laughs> but you know, we're we're right off the Carolinas. So, um, you know, we're not 96 degrees in the shade year round. Like tonight, it's about mm. in the, in the, in the high sixties. So the sea surface temperature is in the high sixties. So yeah, you'll need to have your dive locker. You'll need a few suits. Okay. Mm. You know, you'll need like two or three suits. I got about six, but you'll need about two or three suits <laughs> to really, 
to really um, be a year-round diver here. And um, while people will say, like, Bermudians don't swim year-round, the, the divers do. And mm. there's sort of a reason for that. I'll let, your, let your, your, uh, your listeners in on this, is that we have a lobster season. So we have spiny lobsters, not the ones with the claws, but the, just mm-hmm. the spines. Mm-hmm. Um, that season happens to be September through March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nearly 1,000 <laughs> people have their permits to <laughs> pull, you know, two of them, uh, two per diver, per, two per permitted diver per day, a mm. licensed diver per day, certain size. It can't be a female with eggs. It has to, right. its carpus has to be a certain length. But yeah, so September through March, you've got Bermudians in the water um, harvesting spiny lobsters if they if they eat them. And then to spearfish, which is awesome here too, you need to be a mile offshore. So you do need a boat. You need to get it with friends, get a mile offshore, mm. and you're able to spear a uh, hogfish, gray snapper, grouper. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll see you'll see some some mm. cool stuff. And we've got sort of the, the South Shore where the there's a – what I'd say is that South Shore has the better reef structure and you get depth quicker. If you can imagine, like, again, being on that crater of the volcano, the edge is on the South Shore, like, immediately, whereas North is sort of what we call the platform. You're still on the inshore platform. you got to go, like, 10 nautical miles north to get over the edge of, of that volcano, mm. if that makes sense, guys. Yeah. But – but yeah, it's it's a twenty-one square mile island. So there's a lot to do. Um, I, I remember you and I first connected uh, over Instagram a while back over technical diving in the Caribbean. Um, what's I mean, you're you're a close circuit rebreather now, is that correct? I went to St. Croix to train on the Subgravity Defender CCR strictly to get the knowledge. Again, like in the diving space, um, I don't know about you guys, but you know, whenever you get in a room and someone starts talking about um, partial pressures and loops and sorb and and you don't know what that's all about, you're like, you say, okay, well, I, I crush, you know, I crush free diving. I understand the 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 the, the, the CO2 tables and the apnea, and then I I know scuba. I can. You know, I know my, my, my inflator hose length is specifically X amount of inches, um, <laughs> but you do feel like, um, you know, a fish out of water, no pun intended, when the CCR technical guys come around and they're talking about trimix and, and all that stuff. So for me, um, just to get to the, to answer your question, I invested in the training for the uh, knowledge, knowledge and, and the little bit of experience you get doing the, the mod one course. And it's funny when I came back, the small cluster of CCR divers in Bermuda, like, were like, oh. You know, it's it's kind of like when you know when you're a magician and you and you meet another magician, you're like, ah, you know, you, the, the the magic, right? Like I could understand, and and I don't want to poke at my 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 CCR, um, you know, the small part of of the, the CCR fraternity here in Bermuda, but you know, and rightfully so, right? They uh, we because I'm part of that now, you know, we 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 want divers to be safe, and I just find that. Um, CCR at its essence is is not as complicated as uh, as it was made out to be, but that's probably for good reason. You certainly don't want to get on a rebreather and not have the mm. proper training, um, not have the, a good a good instructor slash mentor. And, and and I'd love to speak to to mentorship maybe another time, but it's important for me to acknowledge that um, I wouldn't be where I am in this whole diving scene um, without a mentor. Mm. Um, Shout out to to Leon Kemp. He's no longer in Bermuda, but he lives in the UK, and um, he he got me early. He got me early, and um, his knowledge and expertise and wisdom and uh, and foresight um, helped me with the the diving journey specifically. Not necessarily hmm. the conservation piece, but um, certainly as a, as a scuba diver and technical diver. So 
once you, you know, they say in diving, as far as expense is concerned, you stop counting at 50K. <laughs> um, I stopped counting at 50K years ago. Um, you know, so it's, it's just great to have, have, have a mentor that can help guide you. Mm. And um, once diving becomes a lifestyle for, for you, um, you know, you, 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 do, you do what you need to do to do what you love, you know, and diving is, it's, I look at the different diving, di- different diving disciplines as tools. Not everything you do needs, um, a rebreather, Not everything you do needs scuba. Um, you know, so it's, it's great to be diverse and I encourage all divers to like dabble in all dive disciplines. It's great, um, to be able to just pick up the, you know, pick up the long fins, pick up the single tank, you know, fly side right. mount, or if someone happens to come here with a defender, I can put that on as well. Um, so guys, yeah. like, get, get into all of it. It's because it'll it'll benefit you. Hmm. And you can't harvest you can't harvest anything from the ocean in Bermuda on scuba either. Only right. lionfish. While we think about that, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with more from Weldon Wade. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big, box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com Welcome back. You're listening to our chat with Weldon Wade on Dive in the Podcast. So, well, then, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about mentorship, and I think uh, all of us here can relate to that. Um, especially, we we found those people that kind of stick with diving are the ones that have, uh, you know, had a really good mentor in their lives for diving. And you know, as a community builder, um, I think you obviously appreciate that. But one of the things we've touched on before uh, with other guests, we know that the scuba industry isn't representative, and you've stated in. In your bio, you know, you're the first and only Bermudian certified freediver, scuba diver, and closed circuit rebreather diver. Did you face any barriers to like these impressive milestones? And what do those accomplishments mean to you? You know, um, just a little, little bit of a story. One of the things I observed uh, not too long ago was um, a young person came out for a dive one day. I think she was about 14. And, you know, she, she showed up at the dive shop. Her mom dropped her off and uh, she went inside. And I just kind of stood to the side. It was a shop that I was a member of. You, you pay a flat fee for the year and you're able to um, dive unlimited. So, you know, I, I, I just sort of was a fly on the wall and I, you know, she got her kit and, you know, people, you know, greeted her and whatnot. But long story short, she spent the entire dive trip alone. You know, she, people weren't talking to her. She wasn't engaged. She was buddied up with a, a group of divers that were kind of like, they didn't really pay her any attention. You know, so while the, the two 50-minute dives at depth were good, I observed, um, and my takeaway was that, you know, she didn't really have a good time um, because no one engaged her. Um, and it wasn't until the end of the dive, I approached her and I asked her. I said, I said, did you have fun? She said, yeah, I had fun diving. I said, um, you know, are you, will you come back next week? She was like, no, no, I, I only dive 
once in a while because I just I, I just don't feel welcomed when I come to the shop. Hmm. And I had to reflect because that's you know I took that to heart because that's how I felt early on in my journey. Hmm. And to be honest, that's how I feel sometimes to this day when I travel around when I used to travel uh, around the region and um, get mistaken for crew or um, you know get get the looks um, of, of other divers. Uh, that didn't necessarily look like me that weren't expecting me to you know be putting on the shark suit or you know donning the rebreather or or, or kidding up and and diving as part of the you know part of the the, the outing and not like crew mm-hmm. um you know i just i mean everyone knows that scuba diving is is an expensive um form of recreation but it's not the only form of expensive recreation um my cousin kamiko smith he's a bermudian professional golfer and golf is an expensive <laughs> it's, it's expensive sport mm-hmm. um you know, and, and granted, golf is, is more of a sport. Scuba diving isn't like classified, in my opinion, as a sport. It is a form of recreation. But once you become a professional, yeah, you're teaching it and whatnot. But it's not a competitive sport, but it's a sport. I think that's mm. probably the fair thing to say, right? right. But um, in terms of um, embracing you know, the diversity of, of the sport um, or hobby or whatever um, with the different disciplines, um, you know, it was a matter of just overcoming some barriers with respect to diving with people that look like me or not diving with people that look like me or being able to afford it or, um, or finding um, a part of friends that were keen to come into it and, uh, and do it along with me. Because at the end of the day, even though, you know, some of us may dabble in self-reliant diving or solo diving, diving is really something that's best experienced with other people. Um, it's very social, in my opinion. The best experiences I've ever had in my life in the water have been on the surface, snorkeling. Hmm. We're talking snorkeling with sharks, eating a dead whale. Uh, we're talking snorkeling with the migrating humpback whales. We, you know, we're talking um, snorkeling with, you know, just pelagics. You're on the surface doing that stuff. Um, and what made that amazing were you know, not just me being in the water by myself with the sharks, but but the people and being able to share share the experience and tell the story and carry it on. And um, so, I mean, there, there were obstacles, but again, it's not strictly scuba that people may find different uh, obstacles. At the end of the day, it's about overcoming certain fears, and it's fears too. Because not everyone likes to dive at night. Not everyone enjoys diving in mm-hmm. caves. Not everyone enjoys swimming with sharks. But, uh, you know, you guys invite me out to do any of those things. I'll be the first one to sign up. <laughs> That's awesome. It really speaks to that attitude kind of driving you forward there. Yeah, very cool. You're doing your part to protect the oceans uh, we all love and dive in with your organization, Guardians of the Reef. Can you tell us more about its mission? Its its mission, its its cornerstone is to is to really be what it is, which is a grassroots, action oriented, inclusive, community based, mm-hmm. and community focused ocean advocacy and ocean conservation force. Um, and I hinted to this earlier, and I'll bring it up again, mm-hmm. is that. Guardians of the Reef is not a Bermuda registered charity, and Guardians of the Reef is not a business. It's a passion project. It's something okay. I've kept in this in this gray area purposefully. Going back to our converse, going back to our conversation about silos, mm. you know, a lot of a lot of times business or entities will put up a silo because of funding. Right. And um, I figured that if I wasn't in a position to necessarily um, attack. Attack's probably not the best word. Essentially, I don't need funding to do what I do, as weird as that may be. 
Um, It doesn't take a lot of money to facilitate diving from a beach. The most expensive thing was probably the chili that I had to cook. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, in terms of, you know, being a registered charity would give me access to funds that I would need to run programs. But I didn't Mm. craft programs that needed funds. I crafted programs that would bring people out and bring people together to do good for the ocean. And and that's what, what Guardians of the Reef is to this day. It's myself and a small team. We're just out here doing stuff. Right. That's very cool. Uh, well, then just kind of tied to that, obviously, is the, you know, the idea of ocean pollution. And I think this is nothing really new uh, to anyone that's listening or really anybody engaged in diving at this point. But uh, tell us a bit about how ocean pollution and, well, pollution in general has changed the Bermudan coast and the reefs since you were a boy. Goodness. Well, when I was a kid... What we'd find on the beach that didn't belong there was tar balls. Hmm. Like wow. oil tankers used to purge their their you know purge their stuff uh, out out in the in the ocean, hmm. and occasionally we would um, find tar balls on the beach. So much so that um, my grandmother would would have uh, little packets of mayonnaise. For whatever reason, the mayonnaise will get the tar balls off your feet. Okay, um, but there was no <laughs> plastic which is bizarre mm-hmm. that, um, you know, back in the eighties, there was, um, no plastic at all washing up on our beaches today. That's not quite the case. Um, and it's been wonderful to be uh, an ambassador for five gyres who are doing amazing work, um, across the world, raising awareness about the, the five gyres of pollution and, um, doing, you know, uh, putting, putting policy and legislation, uh, and advocacy on the forefront. Um, with respect to to plastic pollution. So for me and for people in Bermuda, you know, one of the big things to recognize is that most of the pollution that washes up on Bermuda's beaches is what we call long range or foreign debris. It's not local. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It washes in from, uh, you know, from the gyre, you know, so, so again, like if you just Google, Google Earth Bermuda, we're so far east off the U.S. and so far north from the Caribbean Sea. We're just this little speck in the middle of the Atlantic or in the Sargasso <laughs> Sea. But you know what keeps our sea surface temperature reasonably warm is you know we're in the Gulf Stream. So de- debris gets into the Gulf Stream, it gets into the sea, it gets into the the North Atlantic Gyre and swirls all around. So if we were to do a beach cleanup after our dive, and we were to do a, an assessment, um, we, we'd find that most of it. Uh, is uh, unfortunately from industrial uh, industrialized fishing and uh, non-Bermudian, non-local. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of beachcombing um, as a community. We participate in the annual Ocean Conservancy International Coastal Cleanup Day. Um, mm-hmm. Different entities such as Keep Bermuda Beautiful, which um, they do a lot of phenomenal work inland and on the coast, picking up trash from beaches. Um, what I love to focus on, though, guys, is the stuff that does not float, the stuff that does not wash up. And um, I, I try to you know, have people recognize that not all debris that enters the ocean floats. Hmm. In fact, most of the debris that enters the ocean that floats doesn't float for a very long hmm. time. It, it gets biomass, things attached to it. It gets, you know, doesn't have, hold its buoyancy anymore. It'll sink. And that's when we need uh, divers uh, to, to, to dive down and scoop that stuff up and, and dispose of it properly. Now, disposing of it properly is key because... We don't actually recycle plastic in Bermuda. Uh, we only recycle tin, aluminum, and glass. Everything else gets incinerated. So the, we subscribe to the uh, energy to the waste to energy stream, and um, you know, depending on what side of the fence you're on, burning plastic 
is not necessarily <laughs> the best thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, some little things called dioxins, and uh, I don't yeah. know, but you know, it's it's like we we did landfill for a while. Uh, and we do have a, a dump at our airport where we put the big stuff, um, but unfortunately we we do burn um, our plastics and we take the ash and that goes to yeah. So lionfish are an invasive species uh, in the Caribbean, and they are tasty and edible. So diver-based hunts are a common strategy for controlling them. Uh, is this something you guys do in Bermuda? And what's the situation like there these days? The situation in Bermuda is a very interesting one. Yes, lionfish are an invasive species in this region. Um, for the benefit of some of your viewership, they, they are a bottom-feeding fish, mm-hmm. um, but they do not eat the, the, the dead or the, de- the dead-decaying stuff. They're not sort of the, the sharks of the bottom of the ocean. They'll only eat stuff that's alive. They'll eat anything that's alive that they can fit into their mouths, invertebrates, crabs, the whole bit, and mm-hmm. small fish. Um, but they're just like any other fish. They've got scales, gills, they swim along the bottom, but they're covered in 18 venomous spines. You cut those venomous spines off, and it's a very, very tasty fish. Right now, Bermuda has at least three to four um, organized derby or culling tournament-based events that rallies the community together to, uh, to hunt them. And around here, we, we definitely eat them to beat them. And... <laughs> and yeah, um, their numbers, you know, just to give you guys an idea, like if, if, if all of us uh, on this call were to go dive and we'd probably come back with about 15 or 20 lionfish if we were to spend an hour on scuba. So not a whole lot, but um, this time of year, the lionfish tend to be more uh, higher numbers in, the, in shallow water than during the summer. <laughs> so, but we'll find them. And, and you, some divers are free diving you know, for an hour or two and bringing back 30 or 40. Oh, wow. So we're seeing that we're seeing their numbers increase uh, this time of year. So we're doing a lot. It's a problem everywhere. Eh? And they, they go away for a while and then they seem to come back uh, quite well. So, you, you know, talking to you, your, your passion for diving is kind of, you know, organically led to you. Um, it sounds like having a, a current role at Bermuda Ocean Prosperity. Have I got that right? What do you do there? It's a privilege and an honor to be the communications coordinator for what's called the Bermuda Ocean Prosperity Program. It's a government-led program by, led by the government of Bermuda in partnership with the Waite Institute, which was founded by uh, Ted Waite, who founded uh, Gateway uh, Computer Systems, um, and uh, the Bermuda Institute of Ocean Sciences. And um, so the, the Waite Foundation and the Waite Institute help governments uh, around the world to set up marine protected areas and setting up marine spatial plans. And um, what they did, they advertised for a site manager, someone who could help uh, help all this uh, happen. And uh, long story short, they created a position for me uh, in communications based off the ocean advocacy and communication work I've done with Guardians of the Reef and other organizations. Hmm. Yeah, we're about a year, a year or so into that. And it's a very awesome project. Ultimately, uh, Bermuda has an EEZ. Um, around Bermuda. It's this massive area around Bermuda that we've been uh, given, and we pledge to protect 20% of that as no-take. Wow, and it's impressive. Oh, yeah. 
right now we're doing um, a lots of stakeholder engagement. We have um, stakeholder working groups that are broken up into different categories. We've got an ocean news survey that we're doing right now. We're trying to encourage all Bermudians and all residents to let us know how they use the ocean. So whether it's passive recreation, again, just looking at the ocean. A lot of people don't really understand, like, lots of people get joy just from looking at the ocean. That mm. is that is a use. Um you know, you don't have to be a boater or a fisherman um, in order to to use the ocean. And again, just driving across our causeway, you get to see the blue turquoise green water on mm-hmm. either side of you while you're driving. Right. And, you know, the salt water, the salt water splashes on your car when it's bad weather and the sea breeze hits your face and stuff if you're on a scooter <laughs> like me. And it's, and it's just beautiful. So we want to protect 20% of that as no take um, in the next couple of years. So again, like, and, and what I want to, just sort of take a step back and just illustrate for you guys is, you know, it's just the, the, my joy, my passion and the tenacity with the help of my mentor and the community at large and actually supporting the work that I do, um, you know, has led to this, um, you know, full-time role uh, in this, in this position um, as uh, essentially an ocean communicator. And um, what's happening this weekend, which is not Bermuda Ocean Prosperity Program related. It's the, uh, Ocean Heroes Caribbean Regional Bootcamp that I spoke to earlier. Um, and they've invited me uh, to be a, a track captain leading the Marine Ecosystem Conservation Track. So sort of dabbling in the education sphere too. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it's wild out here, man. <laughs> I, don't know where, I don't know where I find the time to do all these things. Yeah. Where can somebody uh, find out about what you're doing online? Find me on, find me on social. I'm across yeah. pretty much all the social media platforms, even TikTok. I don't do any of the dancing, um, <laughs> but, but, but cer- certainly uh, guardiansoftheref.org is a good place to start. But um, I did create sort of an aggregate site uh, at weldonway.com slash hello. And I put pretty much everything I'm working on on that landing page. So if you want to know what I'm up to, uh, how I do what I do and why and where, and uh, that's, that's where I'd recommend, um, your listeners go and check me out and add me to Instagram, add me to Facebook, follow me and yeah, help me out. Absolutely. And Weldon, at the end of every interview, we always ask our guests the same question, but what keeps you diving? What keeps me diving? What keeps me diving is the unknown. No matter how many times I dive the same sites, whether it's the same beach dive, wreck dive, boat dive, um, there's always something different to experience mm. and there's always something new to see and to learn. And it's, and, and it's that unknown that really excites me for the next dive. Um, and I think that's kind of what, what, what drives me a lot, learning and exploring that unknown. Yeah, that's awesome. Really great stuff there. I really appreciate all that, Weldon. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and apparently Wally, Nick's and Wally. dog, uh, really enjoys that hey. as well. <laughs> I, I used to live in a city, so when the ambulance went off, he would, uh, he would like, howl with the ambulance. And now I'm, I moved to the countryside, countryside outside the city. Um, and now it's a deer at night that are walking outside the window, which is what I'm assuming he's barking at. <laughs> that is awesome. Hang with us for a second. We're going to uh, chat about a couple other things here, Weldon. Um, Nick, you've got a Think Blue segment for us tonight. 
on this iteration of Sing Blue, we're going to talk about uh, our connection with the oceans. Um, it's winter around here. We've had a lot of swells lately, so getting in the water has been, been a little bit tougher, um, or at least getting good visibility. So I've been spending a lot of time walking the coast uh, with my dog and just sort of, you know, appreciating the oceans. And it's been it's been a tough year for everybody. So it's always nice to, to be able to appreciate something that, that we all love. And the oceans are, are super important for, for us. You know, they control the climate. Over 70% of the Earth's surface is covered in water. As a result, the oceans help transport heat from the equator to the poles and they regulate uh, our climate and weather patterns. They provide food. Uh, wild ocean fish accounts for 8% of all animal protein consumed by humans. Um, in 2013, seafood provided more than 3.1 billion people with at least 20% of their intake of animal protein. So the oceans are super important for, for feeding people. And they provide the air that we breathe. The oceans produce over half of the world's oxygen and store more than 50 times the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The oceans are also enriching for us as humans. And that's why I think divers appreciate the ocean. There's a reason we dive. We enjoy spending time in the water, but also living near it. There's an inherent value in the oceans to us humans. Um, we appreciate time spent on the coast and on the water, but also the fascinating marine species that inhabit the oceans and inspire us. So if you find yourself uh, not being able to dive, uh, go for a walk along the coast um, and just kind of reflect on what the oceans mean to you and, and how they enrich your lives. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. Yeah, and you take us along on your adventures a little bit with uh, some of your Instagram posts and things too. So I'm always looking looking forward to see what Nick's up to on any given day. <laughs> <laughs> Amit, speaking of being up to things, let's chat side mount. So Weldon, you said you wanted to talk side mount. What do you want to talk about in side mount? Because you can get me, like they said, all night long, all night long on this topic. No, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I'd love to just see Simon grow uh, here in the local community in Bermuda. Um, there's probably only four or five divers that um, that, that dabble in it. So, yeah, that's mm. all I wanted to, to say on, on Simon. Let's grow, guys, grow the, you know, back mount is kind of dead. Um, <laughs> um, kind of dead, dying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all what? I got. Yeah, I, I like this where this is going. This is, you know, we were talking earlier about you, you and I connecting, and obviously there's a bunch of different levels, but this is quite possibly the best one that we just connected on here. And uh, so I'm going to agree with you. I think it needs to grow significantly more. And, uh, you know, so I guess to that effect, I guess one of the things that you mentioned in Bermuda is the fact that, uh, you know, you have a lot of these wrecks. And it seems to me that what better platform to go exploring those on than in Side Mountain? So I think maybe if I were to chat a little bit about this, uh, I would probably throw this to the idea of like the adaptability of the of side mount in terms of your exploration. And I think a lot of people have previously thought about side mount as being like a very purpose intensive uh, thing. So you know, if you want to go explore a sump or you want to go and explore uh, a cave, well then that's the time to put side mount on. But yet, you know, you 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 wouldn't don that for just your average dive um uh, you know say shore dive and uh, what i've come to find is actually i quite prefer it in, in just about any situation but uh the i guess the biggest reason that i would like it from from that perspective is the ability uh to do just about any type of dive within uh within a side mount configuration and so i think uh, i would toss that out for consideration today that the uh you know it's the adaptability piece 
uh, within that and and the idea that no matter where you go and whatever you decide to do within a side mount configuration, you have the capacity to do it. So I, I listened to a, a couple of segments where this was kind of mentioned in in another podcast done on speaking side mount and and I, it really resonated with me uh, as to why this is a I guess a a part of diving that should grow. And it was summarized really well. I wish I'll try to find the link for it, and we can post it in the show notes. But uh, it, the uh, the quote came from a, a really interesting perspective, and it was that within side mount, there's absolutely nothing that I can do or can't do. I should say that uh, you know that a person in back mount can do. However, uh, if you flip that table and you say, well, you know, can a person in back mount do all the things that a person in side mount can do? Well, the answer is obviously no. So mm-hmm. I think it, it's one of these things where taking it out of this uh, pigeonhole where that it's specific to an individual um, type of exploration is really uh, important to kind of break that mold and start looking at it from a different light. So I'm getting the cue here. I think the guys are basically putting the curtains on me to stop no, talking. No, so no, I'm going to no, leave it no. there. <laughs> I'm no, leaving I it mean, there for now. No, what, what, I, what I'd love to say real quick is that um, it like 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 many things it takes a core group mm-hmm. to make side mount not be the sort of gremlin that walks into the dive shop that everyone is looking at as the weirdo you know <laughs> and, and and that's mm. that's unfortunately the the vibe here is um you got to look at the facilitation if 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 the local dive shops don't offer it they don't support it they look at it like it's foreign and and uh, it's not promoted or advocated um then it's hard to it's hard for a seed to grow in sand that has no nutrients you know if, if i may you know what i find really interesting for for diving that is really based around so much exploration and so much innovation um time and time again we find this thing where somebody comes up with something new and they bring it you know, come come to somewhere where it doesn't exist. There's resistance, and it's whether it's with side mount or free diving. Mm-hmm. You know, like as a free diver, all and, and well done. Maybe you can you can relate to that, right? Like you know, you and I run both ends of the spectrum. And if I'm a rebreather diver and I'm hanging out with free divers, I get these weird looks. They're like, "Well, you're you know the antithesis of free diving because you've got all this gear on." But if I'm like with a with a bunch of tech people and I'm I'm a free diver, I get this this thing. Well, you hold your breath, and it's kind of weird. And it's you know so so those misconceptions occur right across right across the spectrum, which which I find really fascinating for a sport that is so much based on exploration and innovation. Yeah, and and, and I think that the more people that that uh, dabble in all the disciplines, the the better, because then it were a lot more relatable. Um, and that's akin to me being wanting to be a certified CCR diver is to to be able to have that feather and not be the guy that's like you know. Optimal, what's that? Sentinel, what's that? You know, like, and then just not understanding it. And I think, you know, the, 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 the people I meet and the divers that I am mentoring now, they, they are diverse. Um, it's just a matter of growing that community and, and that's the genesis of it. But, you know, not, not, not shitting any, throwing any salt or shade on the local dive shops. I don't own a dive shop. I've never worked for a dive shop. Dive shops need to do what they need to do to pay the staff, keep the lights on. Hmm. Um, and because right now we, there's no nitrox on island, there's no CCR support. The dive shops don't like support free diving in the sense that you can't rent long fins or low volume masks or J snorkels. It's you know they're catered 
for their client base, which which tends to be single tank back mount air shallow water divers, and that's okay. Mm. Um, you know, I as a, as a, as a grown man, I recognize that I have the ability to um, start my own business, and you know, if I find that existing businesses don't provide um, a, a service that the community needs, start start a business on my own and mm. and, and move forward. You know, don't complain about it. Find a solution and, and make it work. I like that. Um, yeah, I agree. So, you know, I, I I wholeheartedly do my best to support all the local dive shops here and overseas. I don't expect every dive shop to support every diving discipline. Um, you do what you got to do. And as a diver and as an explorer and as an educator, as a communicator, um, I, I do what I have to do as well. Hmm. Um, and that's just the, the facts. Very cool. Awesome. Another uh, point well made there, Weldon. I really appreciate that. This point, I guess, wraps up our show for today. So I want to thank you for joining us, Weldon. It was uh, it was a great honor to have you on. And thank you so much, you guys. It was it's an honor, um, an honor to be on the, on your podcast. Uh, shout out to your, your 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 viewership, your listenership, and yeah, when, when the dust settles from the pandemic, um, it'd be wonderful to have uh, everyone over to Bermuda. The sun is always shining. It's a beautiful place to be. <laughs> Pink sand beaches. Got the crystal clear water. Got the shipwrecks everywhere. Uh, I got the boat. You know, I got. I, yeah, I, we'll have a good time. It's a lot to yeah. see and a lot to do, despite yeah, our, yeah. Our, our tiny size. Yeah, short trip. Sounds like a podcast trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there we go. All right. And uh, Nick, thanks for uh, everything tonight. Thanks for being here. Nick. Yeah, it was awesome and well done. It, uh, it's awesome to finally catch up, uh, quote unquote, in person. And your energy uh, hey, is amazing. Thanks, I, guys. It's awesome, and, and we're definitely coming, uh, but not just not just for the diving, but also for that chili and that swizzle. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we could have talked about that for the whole podcast. Believe me. <laughs> but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna air out my my, my swizzle recipe on 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 air. And <laughs> admit, thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, like you said, Weldon, uh, can't tell you, you know, connecting with another Caribbean guy again on the podcast, and then, you know, another passionate side mount enthusiast. Love it. So uh, <laughs> we're connected. I'm loving this idea of chili and the swizzle, like Nick said. So <laughs> we're going to have to come down there, man, and share some recipes. I can't wait. Awesome. Awesome. I'm ready. April, thank you. Yep, thanks for having me, and yeah, excited to add Bermuda on our long list of places that I guess uh, all of us are yes, headed. Yes, post COVID nineteen, uh, we're going to be really busy. Yeah. We're going to be real busy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm just throwing out there so that I, nobody else has said that we could come for the swizzle. So I mean, <laughs> no true. One, no, this yeah. is our first yeah. offer. Yeah. This is the first <laughs> time we've offered the swizzle. So front of the list. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at DiveInPod. Our email is divein.thepodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, www.diveinpod.com. On the website, you can find our past episodes, details on our recurring segments, merch, and much more. On social media, you can follow me at IDiveOK. April's at April Weikert. Nick is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. You can find links for everything we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes or on our website, DiveInPod.com. Next week, we speak to Blair Tobin. Blair's a local Nova Scotian who spends his bottom time as a military diver and his surface interval in between crafting beer. Head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening.